So we are today in Ephesians chapter 18. And if Ephesians chapter 5, what did I say? Ephesians 18. If you got that, if you have that passage, uh, throw it away. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Um, and uh, Lord, we just come before you now and ask you to speak deep into our hearts all the things that you have to say to us in Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen. So last week we talked about understanding what the will of the Lord is for our lives. We ended on verse 17, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In other words, it should be obvious to you. And it should be obvious what isn't. Here's something for sure that's the will of God, something that isn't, and something that is. It says in verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. It says in the New King James, uh, other translations use the word debauchery, or don't ruin your life with alcohol, or don't be recklessly living using alcohol. But in contrast, be filled with the Spirit. And uh, so I, I think it's pretty clear that we're not to use alcohol to cause our lives to be filled or exuberant. Proverbs 20 and 23 have some verses in there that are very powerful about how foolish it is to allow yourself to be addicted to alcohol. Um, again, I, I don't think most people think when they drink they're going to get addicted. I think most people think um, they're going to do it in moderation. Matter of fact, I, I think probably about 100% of everybody who starts drinking alcohol is quite certain they won't become alcoholics. That's for exceptionally weak people or different people than from me. But there's certain things that, that do grab you and, and you're the last one to realize you're addicted to it. I try to raise my kids to just say, if there's anything that can lead to addiction, just don't do it, no matter how enticing it might be. Of course, today a big one is gambling. People think, oh, I'll just spend $10. Oh, I'll just spend $20. Oh, I'll just spend $100. I have met people that were financially set for three lifetimes that have lost everything. Literally, they went from owning five houses outright, one couple in particular, had a lot of money in the bank, to losing all those houses, losing all their cash, and end up having to live with their children in their aged years in a very cramped, difficult situation. So I, I've seen, boy, the addiction can grab you. And of course, um, in my own testimony, I was taking the drugs the doctors were giving me and ended up uh, having a very difficult time for several years uh, on and off different medications. And God bless the doctor's hearts. I know they were trying to help me, but they were the drug dealers that got me addicted. And Cheryl can be a testimony. I would go to the doctor's offices after I got off all medication and they would try to give me more medication. I mean, not passively, 
but actively and, until one time Cheryl was with me and she just said, my husband's told you four times no. And you still said, I'll put a prescription in for him in case you ever want it in the future. And um, it was a wonderful doctor. It's just, that's the way their brains are geared and they're addicting people. And I, I think a lot of people, again, can just socially think, oh, a little bit of drink here, a little beer here, a little... And, and I understand there's a big percentage of people that can do that and not be addicted. But I, I've told a lot of people that begin to drink wine who are Christians, I said, are you guaranteed that your kids aren't going to be alcoholics? Because you're, you're giving them now an okay to start drinking. You're, you're, you're saying, oh, we're Christians, but in our home we drink. Okay, so you're, you're moving the boundary of no alcohol and just understand that they are going to get into their 14, 15 years old, 16 years old, 18 years old, and, oh, we do. Our family, we are drinkers. We, we drink on occasion. But they're going to become drinkers, alcoholics. And you want your heart completely broken? See your grandkids being raised by people struggling with alcoholism. It will break your heart. Because it's not like you've got to go find a beer dealer on the street, you know, and you might get arrested for buying a beer. It's, it's everywhere. It's just in your face and everywhere. And so really we could say this on just not alcohol, but a number of issues. Today, now marijuana is legalized. I mean, who would have thought the day? And, uh, and the, the young people coming from high school into college, they are not drinking anymore because they don't want to become an alcoholic, but they are smoking marijuana because... You don't have the same behavior. So they, they see themselves as superior for not drinking alcohol, but by smoking pot. They are friendlier, and they're smarter, and they have insights they normally don't have uh, when they don't smoke marijuana. So again, I think it's anything that is stimulating us to feel exuberant, different, ecstasy, now, if there's one thing you've, you've seen in this life is we want the roller coaster at times, right? We don't want to just live in the valley. We want mountains. And that's, I think, humanly the way we're made. And the way God has planned it is that through his spirit, we would get those mountains. There's just those times where his spirit comes upon us and we're just hungry for the word and just deep seeking him in prayer and, and in worship, every song is filling our soul and we have this ecstasy in the Lord. Okay, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people showed up and they all agreed that it looked like those 120 people from the upper room were what? We're drunk. I'm positive they're drunk. And Peter in Acts 2 had to get up and say, hey, these guys are not drunk as you suppose. But the prophecy of Joel has been fulfilled and they are filled with the Spirit. But it was exuberance. They all heard God, even the non-believers, they all heard God speak. They all heard the people speaking in their language the great praises of God. 
But it was exuberance. It was ecstasy. And we need that while we're in this human flesh. And if we don't have those times of exuberance, I, I think seeing the apostasia of the church, the great falling away of the church. Okay, I've been going out on Thursdays, went out yesterday witnessing. And I am telling you, on, on Thursday I was with Eric and we, we had four different groups in a row that knew not anything about Jesus. We're like, just tell us one thing you know about Jesus. And these young people said, honestly, I know nothing, nothing. One man, I was standing there, and he had his three kids. He was from Denver. And uh, we were talking and saying, hey, can you tell us anything you know about Jesus? And the kids were like, zero, nothing. And the guy said, well, my mom was Catholic, my dad was Muslim, and I just told my kids I wouldn't tell them anything and just let them find out for themselves. And it's like, well, do you mind if they find out for themselves? <laughs> He's like, go for it. But you could tell he was deeply, deeply ashamed. I'm telling you, we're not in a post-Christian era. We are in a non-Christian company, our country like we're in Russia or in the middle of the jungle of New Guinea and we're coming across people that honestly, they, do not, they know churches exist, they know cross exists, they have no knowledge of Christ. Before these last few weeks, I had met one person when I was 19 who has lived in the backwoods of Arkansas who, who I was working with for the summer and knew nothing about Jesus and he wanted to know everything about Jesus. But when we tell people about Jesus, they are hungry. I mean, they are like, tell me, tell me. They, you know, if, if you're going to die, do you know how to get to heaven? Do you know how to have eternal life? I have no knowledge. And I think about that every day, and I'm afraid to die. And um, I think a lot of the anxiety in the young people is they are afraid of death. And I think this pandemic has showed that younger people are terrified of death. They're more willing to submit to the government rules than anybody else because of that terror. And so we need an exuberance. And so I think a lot of people have come to church. They, they haven't had ecstasy. They haven't had exuberance. They haven't had a filling of the Holy Spirit. They've come into the church dead. They went through the religious activities and they left unmoved, unchanged, unfilled with the Spirit. And they come back in, you know, habit, habitually trying to go through the motions another Sunday, and it doesn't ever happen. And, and now with the pandemic, they've been disconnected for a year, and they realize, I'm the same. I didn't go to church for a year, and I'm exactly as close to God as I was not going to church as I was going to church. So now that I can have my weekends freed up and be just as close to God, why go to church anymore? If I feel a need for a sermon, I can just pop on YouTube, listen to the best, wherever they're at in the world. Yeah, we need to come to church seeking God. 
seeking him in every song of worship, in every prayer, in the message going, Lord, and if you will seek the Lord, he will be found by you. Alcohol wears off. People often forget what they did while they were drunk in alcohol. People often have great regrets for what they did when they were alcohol, if they do remember. Then, of course, it's a painful hangover uh, after being drunk with wine. The opposite's true of the Spirit, isn't it? We remember, and we are joyful, and we are excited to see what God is going to do next in our life. So it actually says here, in the Greek, it's in the present imperative. It's <coughs> constantly be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit as a pattern of your life. So once we're filled with the Spirit, we need a constant refilling, a fresh filling, a new filling of the Holy Spirit in our life. And it's a command. God is commanding you, be filled with the Spirit. Now, obviously, we can't fill ourselves with the Spirit, right? So he's not saying you need to fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, God is saying whether you're filled with the Spirit or not definitely has something to do with you. So if you're not filled with the Spirit, it's not because God doesn't want it. It's because of you and not thinking about it, not seeking it. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I wrote down seven things here. In short, it's just the immediate presence of God himself. You sense the presence and the power and the joy and the reality of God in your life. Number one, it's to live in such a way as to have a sensitivity or a feel or a sense of what God's spirit is. Number two, desiring what God desires. Number three, doing what God wants. Number four, speaking by God's power. Number five, praying in the will of the Holy Spirit. Number six, ministering by God's power. Number seven, knowing with the knowledge that God gives. So we have the work of the Holy Spirit causing us to pray, the work of the Holy Spirit causing us to speak with power, the work of God's Holy Spirit to love and to care and to minister to people. If you're a Christian, maybe when you were first a Christian, you remember some of these things. Maybe in the past, you remember feeling like this. Here's seven things of maybe that will come to mind. There was a real joy from God's Spirit in your life. Number two, you had such a heart of praise and worship. You were just, oh, you were just buried just completely into, into God, just worshiping God. And there was, there was an ecstasy. There was exuberance. There was a drunkenness, if you would in the spirit as you worshiped him. Number three, you would spend time in prayer 
And you would see, you would pray with faith and you would see answered to prayer. Uh, just like, wow, I prayed and God did it. I can tell you that God's here and answering prayer according to his will. But man, I am so pumped up to pray as much as I can because God's hearing my prayers and answering them. Number four, you could sense God's Holy Spirit in your life. You could sense God's presence with you. Number five, when you read the scripture, it was a time when you could sense God speaking into your heart and there was a healing for your soul that would take place as you read scripture. Number six, many divine appointments, bumping into people that really need God's touch and you had the goods to touch them. Maybe it was just a word of knowledge or a prophecy or a word of wisdom. Not that you said that. Thus saith the Lord, I'm prophesying over you. No, it's just... You just had that word in season. Or maybe it was a scripture God had put on your heart that was the very word that they needed to, to hear. This last week, I sent Brother Craig a, a verse and he said, oh my goodness, I just shared that verse with Milu and we had a great time of prayer but that was the verse of the day. And just as I'm saying it to her, you text me that very verse. There's a lot of verses in the Bible, guys. And at the very moment, and I, I know with Craig, and I, I know with me, it's just again going, wow. Lord, I want more of that. I want more of, of being when I speak as it were the oracles of God in your timing, in your power, for people to realize, yes, you're here and you're present and there is a spiritual world all around us. There's real demons, there's real angels and God's presence is everywhere to fill his children, to fill his believers and that there should be an exuberance. It's not this drag myself to church best part of church is getting out of there. You come filled with the Spirit. And you just you want to just share with one another what God's been sharing with you because you know it's the word in season for everybody's life. And you just say, let me pray for you. And there's just a power in your prayer. When I needed prayer as a pastor, there's certain people I'd always call. They were typically the Pentecostals in our church. You know, the Baptists are like, God, whatever your will is, if they're to be sick for another year, that's your will, that's fine. But just give them grace to handle it. It's like, get away from me. Where are the Pentecostals? Lord, heal them right now. In the name of Jesus, take off running, brother. Let's see what's happening. Well, that's the kind of people I want to be prayed for when I'm sick. There's just a, a work in the spirit. I, I, I tell you, my entire life right now is just so excited to share with the Lord. Just these people. They, they, they literally have nothing. It's a, it's a blank sheet. And yet God's Holy Spirit's in the world convicting them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And they, God, it says in Ecclesiastes, God's put eternity in everybody's heart. So there's a sense everybody has that I'm gonna live forever somewhere and be with the Lord in a right relationship with him or not. And 
when you just simply share the stuff that you learned maybe in kindergarten at Sunday school. It's revelation and it's the power of God in changing their lives. So the next thing is, the last thing here, that there is a time, a season, it's really hard to put into words. Like Paul said in Acts 17, in him we live and move and have our being. You know, the, the, when you read the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit falling upon Acts chapter 2, you, you read that description and you scratch your head going, what does that mean? Cloven tongues of fire landed upon each of their heads. I've seen people, it's like their hair's on fire. They got this little, <laughs> I, don't, I think they can't describe it. That's, that's the cool thing. When God's spirit's working, was that a word of knowledge? I don't know. Was it a prophecy? I don't know. What, 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 what did God just do? I have no idea. But God's doing it. And I can't even describe it. It's wonderful. It's exuberant. It's ecstasy. I, I'm, I'm high on Jesus. I'm high on just the work of God in my life and upon my life and through my life. So God is commanding us to take it upon ourselves to make sure that we are vessels that are filled with the Spirit. Whatever it means, I, it's me. I have the possibility of it happening or not happening. And here we, we see in, in chapter 5, he's explaining that you should how to be filled with the Spirit. So that makes me sort of scratch my head. Paul, I, I thought you would say, okay, number one, how to be filled with the Spirit. If that doesn't work, try step number two. If number one and two doesn't work, then pull out number, let's just skip to five. To five, try number step number five. He doesn't. It's sort of like, you should know. So maybe the whole chapters before that, all the verses, Chapter 5, verse 18 has sort of been breadcrumbs leading us to say now, now that you have read the first four chapters and the first 17 verses of chapter 5, now you know how to be filled with the Spirit. Now let it happen. Make it happen in your life. So if you think about it, we do see God's flow up to this point. We see God's will. We see God's spirit in the believer's life. Number one, it's what is God's will? I think that's the thing. I mean, he's really been telling us, what is God's will for your life? What's God's plan for your life? Do you remember back in chapter one, verse three and four? It says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, past tense, with every Bless us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So love, Lord, your Holy Spirit, shed abroad in my heart, and your love is, is overflowing in my life. Is there unforgiveness? Is there anger? In Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. He predestined in advance that we should. It doesn't say we will, but that we should walk in them. And if we're walking in those preordained plans of God, 
there would be filling of the Spirit as you're stepping out in faith and operating with those ministries. It's interesting in Mark 16, he says, all these signs and wonders will follow you as you go out (laughs) and tell people who have never heard about Jesus, about Jesus. I have one friend who's very much a, a pastor of missionaries. And he's like, don't sit at home and ask God to see miracles. He makes it very clear. It's going out to people that don't know the Lord that he's going to work the miracles. Not sitting while well, you sit around in your lazy boy recliner uh, asking God to do miracles. In Ephesians 4.1, remember, he said that we need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we've been called in. In chapter five, he says, be imitators of God as dear children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. In chapter five, verse eight, he's been telling us, we are not light in the Lord, walk as children of light. Secondly, we understand God's vision, his heart for the believer, for his children. In chapter 5.17, don't be unwise, but understand the will of the Lord. What's God's will? It's not that. It's that. That's God's will. Not that. In chapter 4, verse 17, he says, no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. In chapter 5, verse 15, he said, not as fools, but as wise. Thirdly, don't grieve the Spirit. He told us that in chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God who has sealed you for the day of redemption. You're going to heaven. God's going to be giving you a a body of perfect righteousness as Jesus. You're going to be in a place with no pain, no sorrow, forever and ever and ever. We're talking about this little tiny parentheses of time right now. Why you can deny yourself. When you're in your brand new body, you're not going to be denying yourself. There's no pain. There's no sorrow. There's no ability to take up your cross and follow Jesus. It's only now why we're in a sinful world, while we're in this sinful body. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, don't quench the spirit. In Psalms 24, David tells us that we need to be holy vessels of God to make it to the hill of the Lord, to, to have that filling, that exuberance of the Lord. In Psalm 24, 3, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, that that top of the mountain where the the work of God is, where Peter said, let us live here forever and make tabernacles. I don't want to leave this place. How do you get there? Who's going to stand in that holy place where we're filled with God's spirit? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord. We need to believe that God's gifts of the Spirit are for you, and we are willing to receive them. So there's just an, a, a recognition that, yes, God wants me to be filled with the Spirit, and then there's a claiming of those promises. You remember in Ezekiel 36, he said, the day is going to come when I'm going to give them a new heart and put a new spirit within them. I'll take that old heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And then he says in Ezekiel 36, 27, I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Holy Spirit comes into the life and there's this joy to obey Jesus. There's this joy to follow the spirit. There's this exuberance to please the father. In Acts chapter two, 
They said, hey, you guys are drunk with wine. He said, no, no, this is the prophecy of Joel that I will pour out upon or out of my spirit upon all flesh. Let me ask you something. Are you made of flesh? <laughs> are you a believer? Then God's spirit is supposed to be being poured upon you in these last days. And he says there's nobody except rich, poor, women, men, young, old, it's irrelevant. My spirit's gonna, they're gonna have dreams and visions and prophecies and just a mighty working of God's spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, he lets us know that the spirit's desire is to give each one a gift of the spirit for the profit of all. And God's spirit is gonna uniquely work with every believer. It's not this mass thing where everybody gets the same gift. Everybody has the same experience. Everybody's used in the same way. No, it's like our fingerprints. It's like our DNA. God's spirit is gonna work uniquely with every single believer. Notice that. He personally takes it on. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, that the Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. In chapter 14, verse one, it says, desire spiritual gifts. That's the will of God. We desire the power of God's Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done. You know, the Baptist church, is like everything needs to be decently in order. The Pentecostal church is forget order, just let all things be done. In Calvary Chapel, we're like, we're open. Whatever you want, God, let all things be done, but decently in order. They both go hand in hand. But sometimes as Calvary's, we end just then charismatic. And if you, um, there's a great, uh, video you can watch probably on YouTube called Adventure of Faith. It's a story of Calvary Chapel. And if you look, especially in that first decade, Calvary Chapel was a Pentecostal church. I don't care what you call it. There was the moving of the Holy Spirit, people radically being healed and baptized in the Spirit. We need to come back to say, yes, it's, it's more tame. <laughs> it's more safe to be in the Baptist world because nothing unpredictable ever is going to be done. But yet when the Spirit of God moves, it is unpredictable, is it not? Read the book of Acts. It was unpredictable. The day of Pentecost, it was unpredictable. 3,000 souls get saved from Peter's preaching, it was unpredictable. Peter in chapter, Acts chapter four is just walking down the street and people are believing God that when Peter's shadow falls on them, they would be healed. And Peter's shadow was healing people. What did, what did Jesus say? The works I do, you would do, and even greater works than these will you do. That happens by the beginning of the book of Acts. Paul's preaching and this lame guy is for the first time in his life, he's heard about Jesus and he has faith. And Paul says, right now, you have faith in Jesus. I can see it. Get up and start walking. And he was healed. Unpredictable. Paul meets some guys that only knew about John the Baptist. 
And they're meeting together. They broke off from the synagogue and they're, they're just studying the scriptures the way John the Baptist taught them. And Paul comes and he goes, hey, is there any Jewish believers here? Oh yeah, I think there is a group. And he went over and, and said, hey guys, you love Jesus. And they're like, who's Jesus? All we know is John the Baptist said a guy's coming. He came. His name's Jesus. He's the Messiah. And these guys, Paul baptized them and he baptizes them in water and they come up speaking in tongues and prophesying. And it, yeah, the Holy Spirit, it's, he's not tame. The working of God's Holy Spirit, let all things be done. God's Spirit is decent and in order. But at the same time, it is unpredictable. Jeremiah 33 got it right. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, talking about us, the New Testament church. But as it's written, eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered in the heart of man. We haven't even thought the thoughts yet. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. Do you love God? What is he going to say in 1 Corinthians 2.10? But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. The Spirit searches all things, just the deep things of God. He goes on to say, we will know them, spirit, spirit. Some, some translate it spiritual things by spiritual words or spiritual words, spiritual, but in the Greek, it's just spirit, spirit. God's spirit, your spirit. There aren't human words to explain it. It's just God's spirit moving us to pray with groanings too deep for words. God's Spirit moving us to pray in tongues and, and things that we can't, the depths of our mind can't get there, the depths of our soul can't get there, but our spirit can. And God's Spirit, working with our spirit, help us to pray in the perfect will of God. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. If you're not filled with the Spirit, you're going to not know. If you're not filled with the working of God's Spirit, His Spirit is not going to be able to speak to your spirit. Yes, God's Spirit lives in us, but there is a filling of His Spirit, the power of His Spirit, the love of His Spirit. Well, how do I get that? It's complicated. You ask. <laughs> oh, maybe it's not so complicated. Just ask. Look at Luke chapter 11 with me in verse 11 and 12 and 13. Jesus says, If the son shall ask for bread of any of his fathers, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? That's weird, isn't it? Could you imagine a kid thinking he's got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and he opens his lunchbox and there's a snake? No, 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 that's just bizarre. Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Hey, Dad, can I have an egg? Yeah, close your eyes, o open your hand. Put it, it, how bizarre. So, in the same way, you then, being evil, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give what? 
the Holy Spirit to them who ask him. Jesus taught this in another place in Matthew, and he said, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? But in the Gospel of Luke, he specifically says, a very precise person, by the way, he says, in another time he said, how much more will the Holy, if you ask, will he give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, what is Jesus here telling us? He's saying there's going to be a group of Christians that are afraid because the Holy Spirit's unpredictable. I may have to yield more of my life. I may have to walk in a deeper obedience. I may have to get on the narrow road rather than the broad road of carnality and live a holy, be a holy vessel, sanctified. But all of these things are hard. And then when you do it, it's unpredictable and weird. I went to this Pentecostal church one time. and I was with this guy one time. And, yeah, guys, Satan's no dummy. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, he decided if you can't beat him, what? Join him. Satan's here. There's always demons here every Sunday. Whether you're here or not, demons are here. They're messing with you when you wake up. They're messing with you in the car on the way here. They're going to be messing with you when you leave here today. We're in a real spiritual world. And they want you to, whatever it takes for you, to not want a greater portion of what God has for your life. I'm afraid if I say, Lord, I give you all and I want everything you have for me. Lord, I want every gift. I want a complete outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Maybe I won't speak in tongues, but prophesy words of knowledge, words of wisdom, gifts of faith, gifts of miracles, gifts of healings. I don't know what, Lord, there's probably gifts that my mind hasn't even thought of yet. Whatever you want, I'm yours. Don't do that. That's like asking God for patience. You'll have a horrible life of trials. Okay, no more patience, God. I don't, I can't. Don't, you ask for God to fill you up with the Spirit, you'll end up being a missionary in New Guinea. Boy, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't give God a full license. Your life will end up in hardship. Ask for an egg and I'll give you a scorpion. Ask for lunch, I'll give you a snake. Watch out! Satan's no dummy. When in, in Romans 5, it says, when the Holy Spirit is in our life, the love of God is shed abroad. That is the fruit of the Spirit, is love. When God's working in power, it's out of love to let them know that there is a spiritual world and that they need to follow the Lord and not their flesh, not Satan, not their society. Don't, don't be weirded out. Don't, don't let Satan trick you into thinking if you say, God, fill me with your spirit, whatever, whenever, however, I am yours. I don't care the difficulty. I don't care the hardship. All that matters that I say everything. I am everything. I do everything. All that you want, that I do your will, that I lay my head on the pillow at night and I have walked in every predestined work, every divine appointment, Every word, every person, a smile and a hug. I've done all. I walked perfectly in that will that you prepared beforehand that I'd walk in it. 
And I know that has to be by the work of your spirit, by the power of your spirit. When we ask, we need to have faith. Galatians 3, 5 says this, Therefore he who supplies the spirit to you, let me say it again, Galatians 3, 5, He who supplies the spirit to you, works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law? No, it's by the hearing of faith. I think also we're not filled with the Spirit because we just don't give God time. We need to just spend time. When I talk to people out there that receive the Lord, I say, now, do you know what to do next? And they're like, no, just love God. This is eternal life that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do you know how to love God? I have no idea. Well, how, how would you love your parents? It's just spend time with them. Hey, mom, hey, dad, let's go to breakfast. Come over to the house and hand them a cup of coffee and sit down on the couch and share your life with them. You need to do nothing more. That's all. And they will feel that you love them. All God wants is you to give him time to speak to you through the word each day. If you meditate in God's word day and night, you'll prosper in all that you do. His word is a lamp into your feet and a light into your path. Hide God's word in your heart. You won't sin against him. Give him time. Set in your mind that I'm gonna just walk in relationship with the Lord. In Romans 5, or 8, chapter 8, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, what do they do? The things of the Spirit. They set their mind on the things of the Spirit. But so often we're distracted. Why aren't we setting our minds on the things of the Spirit? We're so distracted. But you understand, this is an end times thing. We, in the last days before the rapture of the church, are set up to be distracted like no other generation. Jesus talks about it in Mark 4, 19. The cares of this world. He didn't say a bunch of big sins. Just the cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. The desire for what? Evil things? No, just the desire for other things. They enter in and choke the word and we become unfruitful. Interestfulness of riches is mentioned there, but the other things that choke out the word is just the cares of this world. I think a lot of Christians right now are saying, well, you got to read the Bible, but you also got to listen to Fox News. You got to balance out your politics with the Bible. You got to be equally as knowledgeable as politics as you are the Bible. Politics, you know what? Care of this world. It's, it's a temporal thing. And just the desire for other things. Just other things, not bad things. Just so many things to be involved in. I love that story of Mary and Martha. Remember that? Where Martha comes in and says, tell Mary to get up and quit listening to you teach and come and help me fix the food. And Jesus tells Martha she's distracted. And he says, you're worried and troubled about many things. And in and, and Luke chapter 10, verse 42, he says, but one thing is needed. What was that? 
Mary sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to him. One thing needed, to sit at Jesus' feet. She's willing to listen. She's not just hearing him. She's, Lord, I hear you with my soul, my heart. I want to know the truth and walk in it. And I think another important thing is yield your life to the Holy Spirit. Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty end of God that he may exalt you. And I may say that he may fill you with this spirit. In Romans 8, 14, it says, as many as are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. Lord, lead me. Lord, fill me. I can't do it without you, Lord. There's a yieldedness, a humility. And then we need to wait. In Acts chapter 1, he says, I command you, don't depart from Jerusalem until you wait for the promise of the Father. You know how many people Jesus said that to, right? 500. How many were there waiting on the day of Pentecost? 120. 380 people out of the 500 couldn't sit still long enough. Do you think they missed out? <laughs> Do you think those 380 people would go, oh, I wish I had been there. I guarantee you they wish they had been there. But he said, wait till the promise of the Father comes that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. What does waiting do? What does yielding do? What does humbling ourselves before God do? It, 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 it is, it's a vessel that can be filled up. Because it says, I'm not in charge here. You are God. It says, it's not about God's working in my life, but joining God in his plan. I'm not in a hurry. Okay, God, I, I'd, I'd love to stay here and pray, but I got a life. Bless my life, Lord, as I go. Instead of waiting, saying, no, it's not about my life. It's about joining God with his plan. And then it's also a sign of humility, saying, until you fill me up, I can't live a spirit-filled, fruitful life. Apart from you, I can do nothing, only as I abide in you. Psalms 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Strengthen your hearts. It, it's a strong battle to wait on the Lord. But I say again, wait on the Lord. It's not a, a wimpy thing to wait. It's a courageous thing. It takes a lot of strength to wait, doesn't it? Waiting has got to be the most painful thing in my life. Waiting. I hate waiting. Psalms 46.10, be still. Isaiah 28.16, whoever believes won't act hastily. Isaiah 30.18, great verse. Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. Therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you the lord is our god of justice blessed are all those who wait for him it's hard to describe the spirit-filled person but i think it starts with just a submitted spirit of saying lord fill me i want it all i don't want to lack anything i want all that you have for me lacking nothing i don't care of the pain I don't care of the hardship. I don't care of the lost. I don't care of the difficulty. All that matters to me is that I be filled with your spirit and say all and do all. I am the man of God after your own heart who does all your will. 
I think David, this man after God's heart, who did all his will, I think he, he, you hear it in the Psalms. Follow me here and as we conclude with these three Psalms. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I desired of the Lord, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. Psalm 73, verse 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none on this earth I desire beside you. My flesh, my heart fell. God is the strength of my heart and he is my portion forever. Psalms 84, verse two. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Let's have the band come on back up. And Lord, as we come before you right now, I, I don't, this whole week as I've just been groaning in the spirit, wrestling in the spirit, realizing that I, amongst everybody here, need a fresh filling of your spirit, a love in my heart for you and for my fellow man, a, a desire to be holy and sanctified and set apart for your use more than anything else. Lord, I just ask right now that all the things that are hindering us from being filled with the Spirit, Lord, we just come and say, Lord, we don't know. We're here. We're humbling ourselves before you that you can exalt us. That, Lord, people that come to church here just can't come and punch a clock and come in and go out. But every week, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be powerfully here to challenge to say more, more, more fruitfulness, more love, more working of God's power and his spirit in your life. To lay hands on one another, pray for one another, speak to one another your word. I just sense that there's many here, if not everybody here, is understanding this verse today. <laughs> Don't be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, worthlessness but to be filled with the Spirit, be drunk in the Spirit, be exuberant, have ecstasy, have a high in the, in the Spirit world, being fruitful and loving and forgiving and kind and gentle and being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Lord, have me. I think that's it. Just right now, Lord, have me. I know there's people in my world that need to hear you. They don't know you. They're longing for you, but they have no idea until I bring the message. How can they believe in whom they've never heard? And how can they hear unless somebody tells them, Lord, here I am. Here I am, Lord, to love on people and, 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 and to reach out to them and talk to them and hug them and smile at them and be kind to them and and let them know there's a God who loves them so much. And they could see the love of Jesus through our life and our character and our words and our actions. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen. amen.